This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's Thanksgiving weekend and that means many of us will be spending some serious time in the kitchen preparing a holiday meal for our loved ones. Downsizing and changing food preferences means Zoomers are putting a new spin on the family feast. Food columnist and kitchen guru Lucy Waverman is in the house with Thanksgiving tips. Plus, Hanoch Budin has a lot to be thankful for. After losing his arm in combat, he lifted himself out of a very dark time to become one of Israel's top Paralympians, bringing home eight medals for his country. We'll hear his story today. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a decision that outraged her family and seniors' advocates across the province. Ontario's Special Investigations Unit has cleared a Peel Region police officer of any criminal charges in the tasering of an 80-year-old woman this August. Iole Pasquale, who suffers from dementia, was tasered twice by the officer because she was wandering in the streets in the middle of the night wearing a nightgown and holding a bread knife in her hand. According to this decision, the officer acted lawfully and did not use excessive force. Ms. Pasquale fell and broke her hip as a result of the incident. It is so surprising and so wonderful. And uh, I, I, I'm dazed. That's 82-year-old Canadian author Alice Munro on winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. The Swedish Academy, which selects Nobel literature winners, calls her a master of the contemporary short story. She is the first Canadian writer and only the 13th woman to receive this distinction. Miss Monroe was so moved by the award, she says she may change her mind about retiring from writing. And while we were honoring one great Canadian, we said goodbye to another. Business tycoon Paul Demare Sr. died at the age of 86. He built Power Corporation of Canada and transformed it into one of the country's largest conglomerates. Demare led the company as its chairman and chief executive from 1968 to 1996 before passing the reins to his sons. His estimated net worth was $4.5 billion U.S., and Forbes ranked him as the fourth wealthiest person in Canada. Born in Sudbury in 1927, Demaret was one of Canada's most powerful figures straddling the worlds of business and politics. Space, the final frontier. Sometimes space is not the final frontier. Former Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield is taking on a new job as professor of aviation at the University of Waterloo. Hadfield's first task on campus will be assisting research into why some astronauts have fainting spells when they return to Earth, knowledge that will also be useful for elderly people prone to falling. 54-year-old Hadfield retired in July 
shortly after getting back from five months on the International Space Station. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Many of you are busy prepping and cooking as you listen to this program. Tonight is the preferred night for Thanksgiving dinner, and for many Zoomers, the traditional turkey with all the trimmings is giving way to smaller celebrations and different food choices. I had a chance to get some tips from food guru Lucy Waverman, who is launching her latest book, The Flavor Principle. I'm here with your new book, The Flavor Principle. Why did you decide to organize the material that way? The book is a pairing book. It's um, got lots of wine, drinks, cocktails. What we really should be matching to is the overarching flavor in a dish. Let me give you an example. It's an easier way. Creamy. So when you're talking about things being creamy and people think, oh, butter, whipping cream, oh, too rich, I'm not going to do creamy. But creamy is a texture as well as it is a taste. And when you think about risotto, risotto is creamy, but you don't have butter and cream generally in risotto. Polenta, too, has a very creamy texture. Or when you think sweet, I know that we do do the flavor sweet in here. People think, oh, dessert menus. No, because there's so many sweet spices like cardamom. If you have Moroccan food, it's the stews all have those little sweet exactly. notes in them. Exactly. So and so, there's a Moroccan tagine in the sweet chapter. And what do you drink with it? Usually like a crisp wine. You, know, you have to decide too when you're matching things. Do you match to the sweet flavors or do you contrast with the sweet flavors? A lot of people will be cooking as they're listening to this. Absolutely. Preparing their Thanksgiving meal. So let's talk a little bit about that. Zoomers in their lives are often downsizing. So are a lot of people downsizing their holiday meals? And what are some practical suggestions if that's the situation you happen to be in? Okay, two things. Yes, people are downsizing. Um, I think that the generation of having 20 people for Thanksgiving isn't there anymore because people don't you know, haven't got the experience of cooking in large quantity, perhaps, or because it becomes very stressful to have that many people. Plus, there's the other issue that kids have moved away from home. They don't come back from Thanksgiving or they're away at school and they don't come back. And so people are having smaller dinners. And I think that there are definitely ways of dealing with that. I mean, small turkeys, for sure, you can get turkeys down to eight pounds now. But I like to to do capons. I think Capons have more flavor than turkeys. I know the turkey board is going to be down on me now, but I do feel that the capons have more flavor. And so if I've only got six or eight people, I will buy a large capon, which butchers carry at Thanksgiving. There are people who don't eat meat, but they eat fish. So there are a lot of people today who are doing a whole salmon. You know, you'll buy a salmon, get the bones taken out, a whole salmon, get the head taken off, and they'll stuff it. And then they'll uh, roast it in the oven for 45 minutes to an hour. There's a third issue, too, now with vegetarianism, right? How many people do you know are vegetarians? There's (laughs) There's one sitting in the control room. (laughs) Right. And so why should vegetarians be told, well, you eat the vegetable dishes, we're going to have the turkey? Um, And there's a menu actually in the Flavor Principle for a vegetarian um, holiday meal for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And in it, I make a regular stuffing like you would make for the turkey, and I take big portobellos. You fry them off, and then I stuff the portobellos with the stuffing, and you bake them in the oven. And I make um, a sauce with red wine and cranberry juice. Sounds lovely. Now, another thing you were talking about 
Uh, also, to make it easier to cook a turkey is to flatten the turkey. Yeah, it's and if I'm having turkey, it's my preferred way of making it now. So you go to the butcher and you ask them to flatten it for you, which means taking out the backbone um, so that the bird will lie flat. And I like the breastbone taken out as well because it lies even flatter and it's much, much easier to cut afterwards. That's the other thing about a flattened turkey. It's so easy to uh, carve. And then you put it on a big cookie sheet and you do it in a 400-degree oven. Um, It takes about 90 minutes, maybe two hours. It depends on the size of the turkey. Usually I do a 12 or a 14-pound turkey this way. And what I've started to do now is I was making the stuffing separately, but now I've just made a kind of a loose stuffing, thrown it underneath and stuck the bird on top. Do you have other tips to take away the stress of the holiday meal, but to <laughs> leave the nice part of the family and friends in? Yes. Um, first of all, buy dessert. You know, it, it really is so much easier to go out. There's wonderful bakeries wherever you live. You know, go out and buy your pumpkin pie or make a pumpkin square, which is a lot easier to make than a pie. And you can make all of those things days ahead of time. Like you can make squares five days ahead of time. Have that ready. Don't have to think about that. The other thing that I always do is I prep the vegetables. So if you're having three vegetables, you're having Brussels sprouts, let's say, then the easiest thing to do is just to pre-blanch them, you know, clean them, get them ready, pre-blanch them, and then just heat them with, um, well, you can do lots of different things. Okay. Lucy Waverman, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Libby. Lucy's new book, The Flavor Principle, is published by HarperCollins. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, I'll talk to someone who has found a lot to be thankful for in his life after a life-changing setback. Hanoch Budin will share his story next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Respectively, they have had an arduous journey to regain control of their lives. They have known struggle and despair and choose not to give in to their afflictions. Earlier this week, I was fortunate to be part of an event in support of Beit HaLochem, a rehabilitation facility in Israel. I was inspired by guest of honor Hanoch Budin. His life changed in an instant when he lost his right arm in an explosion, but he battled back to become one of his country's top Paralympians. Now, you said that when you were injured, you thought your life was over. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. When you're 20 years old, you think you have everything. You think you're the strongest person alive. You think you can do everything. You have a mission. I had a mission. I was a soldier. The whole world seemed like it's in my reach. So, you know, you feel the most confident man in the world. You're doing an important job. Uh, You're strong. You know that you are capable. And then in a split second, you know, it's a 180 degrees flip because you're there on the ground. No arm, no life. Uh, you think about everything, you see your future, you over there when you're lying there uh, and the bullets and, and everything, all the sounds are there and you see the doctor and you know, you feel like your life has actually ended. It's, it's worse than death. Why would you think your life is over? Um, because again, when you're 20, you're mm. lying there and for me, losing a right arm 
was the worst thing that ever can ever happen to me. You don't think, oh, there are uh, now. Yeah, I remember. I know this guy. He is. He doesn't have two hands, or he doesn't have his eyesight. You don't think about that. You only think about yourself. And for you, personally, or that right moment uh, over there, and you know when you're not expecting it, that's it. Life has ended, and it's literally it's it's what you feel. After these twenty four hours, I just picked up a book. And because I'm right-handed and I lost my right hand, I started copying from the book. I read it, you know, writing just to switch from right to left. At that moment, at the hospital, with the pain, with everything, for everybody, it seemed crazy. But for me, it was a beginning, a new beginning to change what's needed to be changed. How good are you with your left hand? Very good, but nothing compared to the right hand. <laughs> How did you get into sport? And what role did that play? I just found this great, I don't know, three, four people coming in and, uh, you know, we connected. And they said, listen, there's this wonderful place. We all go there to swim. It's called Betalochem. And maybe it will open a new career for you. And I was, uh, you know, I, I was always into sports. So it was natural to me to go there and check it out. So the group of people combined with this great facility drew me in, and this is... A, <laughs> this and is tell me life. about your swimming career. Oh, that's... Uh, it was tough, very tough at the beginning. It started... I started swimming uh, at the beginning of uh, 83, and I made it to the team uh, going to the games in uh, the United States in 84. And I was so lucky to win my first medal. It was uh, 100 meters uh, freestyle, and I won the bronze. It was very close to losing it, but I don't know how I made it. <laughs> I was very lucky, I, I have to admit. And, you know, since that moment on, I felt, well, this is my destiny. If I, can, if I was able to do that in a year or a year and a half, I can probably do better. So I went on with it, and I kept going and my next Paralympics in 88 in Seoul were the greatest. I got five medals, uh, among them two uh, gold and two uh, world records. And I kept on going until uh, 2004. That was the last game I participated in, actually, uh, and carrying the, the national flag for the games. It gave me a new path and a, and a new way to uh, move along, and it taught me so many things. Have you seen a big increase in the acceptance and uh, respect for Paralympic athletes and Paralympic Games in the time you've been involved? Yes, very much. If I look back, even if you think about the, the competition itself and the level of swimming, or for me it was swimming, but it's also athletics, and this, the, the exposure we get, you get to see that and you get to see that people are connected. If you went to London and you saw... Um, People ended up buying tickets or getting tickets to the Paralympic Games, which are, they were unable to get them for the Olympics. And then when you talk to them, you said, you know what? This is amazing. It's better than the Olympics. So they were so surprised to go and see there, the level of, of competition and the competition itself and to see what these people are capable of. It's an inspiring thing for them. And, you know, even just sports. It's a great sport. And why not enjoying it? Okay. Hanoch Boudin, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. She said, love is like the wind. 
Paul Simon, one of the Zoomer generation's greatest singer-songwriters, is celebrating his 72nd birthday, and we'll hear one of his biggest hits after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's a celebration of Duke Ellington on Broadway. The musical review After Midnight celebrates Duke Ellington's years at the famous Cotton Club in Harlem in the late 20s and early 30s. With musical direction by Wynton Marsalis, After Midnight is at the Brooks Atkinson Theater on West 47th. In the Windy City, what Vincent saw is a special exhibition of the great Vincent Van Gogh, along with photographs taken in the 1940s of the sites of some of his famous paintings. It's at the Art Institute of Chicago. To London, England, where legendary actors James Earl Jones and Vanessa Redgrave star in Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. The stage production is at the Old Vic Theatre. And in Italy, the life and work of photographer Roberto Capa is on display at the Rome Museum. Capa is best known for redefining wartime photojournalism by joining soldiers in the trenches and documenting their battle in close-up shots that depicted the grim reality of war. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Today, one of the great musical icons of the Zoomer generation is celebrating his 72nd birthday, Paul Simon. When he was just 11 years old, Paul met and befriended a schoolmate, Art Garfunkel. Together, the two would go through their teenage years writing and performing songs together, honing a craft they would later be famous for. In 1964, they had an audition with Clive Davis at Columbia Records. He was impressed with the duo and signed them as Simon and Garfunkel. They quickly released an album, Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. It didn't get much attention at first, but slowly one of the songs, The Sound of Silence, gave the duo a following. They re-recorded it for a follow-up album, The Sounds of Silence, which also had the hit song, I Am A Rock. From that point on, their music career was established and the duo released multiple albums with iconic songs like Homeward Bound, Cecilia, and Scarborough Fair. One of their biggest hits gained immense popularity after it was featured prominently in the 1967 film The Graduate. The lyrics revolve around the plot of the movie, where the young Benjamin Braddock, portrayed by Dustin Hoffman, is seduced by the much older Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. 
Simon and Garfunkel with Mrs. Robinson. Paul Simon is celebrating his 72nd birthday today. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you so much for joining me today, and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.